we continue the work through looking at the law, specifically Deuteronomy, although today we're going to be looking at Leviticus. Um, Hopefully this has challenged you to start reading um, maybe some parts of the Bible that you haven't familiarized yourself with before or maybe to this extent. Uh, That's kind of how I felt about this uh, lesson that we're going to be looking at today about sacrifices. You know, uh, including last week, we talked about different feasts. And we're looking at principles of the law. What do these things really mean? What do they represent? Why would God expect people to uh, do this kind of thing? What we're going to be looking at today uh, are the sacrifices. And I told you, I kind of, I see this connection between the feast and the sacrifices and trying to decide which one should come first. And and the more that I've studied through this, I appreciate um, the way that God did lay this out, where he establishes this idea of what the feast represent, creating kind of this atmosphere And then you plug in the sacrifice in the midst of it, and you understand a little bit more about what's going on. And so we're going to be looking at these sacrifices or offerings and getting some details about them and God's expectations beyond that. Our two main points uh, to drive home over and over again is that the law is an extension of God's nature. And you're going to see this come out with the sacrifices, that God's expectation for the sacrifices, it's because things get out of balance that he wants to bring back into balance. And that has to do with the sin offerings or the guilt offerings. But there's also something else that you will see along with them. And it has to do with thanksgiving and blessings. That you return back to God what he has blessed you with. You give him a portion and really you give him the best of it. And it gets uh, really obvious in our lives when we start thinking about that same expectation for us. The, The things that belong to us are not actually ours. They all belong to God. And when he asks us to give back to him, it's the same principles that we're going to find here in the Old Testament that carry over to the New Testament, that everything belongs to God and that he gets what's off the top. He gets the the first portion, the the first fruits. And it should be obvious to us that uh, we are giving up and we're sacrificing, but it's really God that is blessing us over and over again. And so I can see this being an extension of God's nature. And then if we love him, We're going to do whatever he asks us to do. The sacrifices, when you read through them, you see them, you're like, okay, well, you know, there's all these regulations about them and this dove or this lamb or whatever. But the requirement of taking a life, killing an animal because that really represents you and that should be you and you are giving that up Why would God ask us to do that? And and why would I be willing to do something like that and really follow all of the details about them? I think it has a lot to do with love. But in a more grand scale is the New Testament when you get to Jesus. And we're going to look at that in a couple of weeks as we cross over from the old law, what we're studying here in Deuteronomy and how that transitions to the time of Jesus. So there's our two points that we've been considering together. Uh, Just by way of connecting where we were last week into where we're going this week, a couple of passages that we looked at uh, for just us to review. Deuteronomy chapter 16, starting in verse 16, it says, Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. Just a second, we're going to draw out uh, the difference between a voluntary sacrifice and a mandatory sacrifice. And part of what we're seeing in this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 16, there are some mandatory rules that God is giving for when you come to these specific feasts, you don't come empty handed. 
You have some things that you need to bring with you. It might be that you sold some stuff back at home and you are going to take those funds and now you're going to bring them into the city. Or you're going to take your possessions, you're going to take your first fruits, you're going to take your specific lambs, and you're going to bring that to the place that he sets apart. And what we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 12 which, uh, gets fulfilled in uh, 1 Kings chapter 8 is that the place that God later on decides is going to be Jerusalem. It's the city set on a hill that people are going to bring all their sacrifices to. And so when you think about an entire nation coming to this uh, particular city to offer sacrifices, think about all the senses that are, are being uh, used up when you come into that city and you're hearing uh, animals. You're, you're walking through a path that people are bringing animals in. You're hearing it. You're seeing it. You've got all the sights and the sounds and the smells. All of this is happening in the city, and when you see these things, it should be a reminder to you about why was God doing this. When you see the, the smoke come up out of the, the altar as you're coming into the city, and you know that animals are continually being burned on there because a, a fire would never go out of the altar. It was to be uh, burned continually. Worship and sacrifice is a little bit different at that point. And, but there are some mandatory times where you would come and offer these specific sacrifices. In Leviticus 23, another one of those major passages we looked at last time, it says, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation, for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings, sacrifices, and drink offerings, each on its uh, proper day, besides the Lord's Sabbath, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vow offerings, and besides all of the freewill offerings which you give to the Lord. Now, something that starts uh, being brought out from this passage that carries over into what we're looking at today, there are some mandatory things we saw through those major feasts, and he mentions those. But there are also some other sacrifices that are not directly tied to a feast, or maybe not tied to a Sabbath. They are free will offerings. They are voluntary. You decide when you're going to do it, but it still has specifications to it. It's not where, you know, I'm just going to offer God whatever I want to, and it's however I want to. He says, no, that's not the case. You still have parameters that you have to follow. But there are mandatory things in these voluntary ones that uh, we see. So our three major feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that was uh, related to the Passover. You come and offer the Passover lamb with its specific um, characteristics, and then for the next week you would celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You have the Feast of Weeks, which was a reminder of the first fruits. So when it came time for uh, you to harvest uh, all of your crops, God was blessing you in the land. And we talked about the land kind of serving as a witness for what God has done. And then the Feast of Booths, which was a reminder of where God had led them out of Egypt. And they would go and they'd build uh, tents and they would celebrate this feast outside of their home in these makeshift um, you know, it, for us, it'd be tents or a little lean-tos. And for that time, they would think about all the ways that God had blessed them. And that would happen in the seventh month. So you had the first month of the year and the seventh month, as uh, we mentioned. So those are the three major feasts. In Deuteronomy 12, when it talks about the holy place, at the end of that description of where they are going to offer these things, this is what uh, Moses records. He says, But the holy things that are due from you and your vow offerings you shall take, and you shall go to the place that the Lord will choose and offer your burnt offerings, the flesh and the blood on the altar of the Lord your God. The blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, but the flesh you may eat. Be careful to obey all these words that I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever, that you will do, uh, that you will do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. 
there are going to be some offerings and some sacrifices that don't, do not have to relate to uh, a living thing. It has no blood in it. The blood's not to be taken from it. It might be a grain offering. It might be a first fruits. But for those things that have to do with an animal sacrifice, the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God. What did blood represent? Life. There's life in the blood. See that all the way back in the beginning of Genesis, those things being poured out. And the sacrifices were bloody. In Leviticus chapter 1, we're going to see these details in just a moment, but just to bring it out, as we've said before, that the worshiper would come into the city and they would have their sacrifice and they would take their hands and they'd put their hands on this animal in front of the priest and then they would kill the animal. They would cut its throat and the blood would pour out. As you're standing there sacrificing your animal, you're looking around you that other people bring their animals in and doing the same thing. Blood being spilled everywhere, and part of that being thrown on the the altar and burning up. You see life being given. When you take that blood and and you cast it out, life is being spilt. When we think about the body and blood of Jesus Christ, in a very simple way with our emblems that we're going to be looking at in just a moment when we have our time of worship together, the value of blood, that being poured out for us, creating a new covenant for us. The, the body that was prepared in a specific way, Jesus giving that for us, is not the same as us standing in front of a, a, a temple or in the tabernacle and, and hearing all these things, but we should be astute enough to think about the sacrifice that Jesus gave, that he is the Passover lamb. His blood has been poured out, his flesh was prepared, and it was for us taking our place, not so that we have to come on a regular basis into the temple But he, as the high priest, offered one sacrifice and is now in the presence of God for all of eternity and calls us to be with him and do what he asked us to do. So as we think about these sacrifices, let that be obvious to us as well as we get ready to take of the Lord's Supper in just a little while. But as they were going to this specific place, uh, during this time it would be the tabernacle, but then when the temple is built, uh, we see it in a little bit different light. Now, this is um, just if you want to make some tie-ins as you're studying through and want to make some connections. From these verses that we've read in uh, Deuteronomy 16, Deuteronomy 12, Leviticus 23, and Deuteronomy, uh, and then uh, Deuteronomy 12, that uh, if you look at the different offerings that are mentioned there, this is the list of them. You have food offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings, sacrifices, maybe just a general category, drink offerings, vow offerings, and free will offerings. I'm going to try and condense these down. There are five main ones that we're going to be looking at. But if you want to study through the book of Leviticus uh, and find these things, uh, maybe make some notation next to them. The same way that I encouraged you last time, look at the Ten Commandments as you're studying through the Bible and you find a relationship to one of the Ten Commandments. You might have a little system that you put, okay, this has to do with Commandment 5 or Commandment 1. Maybe you can come up with some kind of system as you're looking at how these sacrifices were to be done, and you can see how they're related to the food offerings, and why would God ask for a food offering? Why is he asking for a drink offering um, or grain? What's the point of that? What's the point of a burnt offering? Uh, when I vow something, when I freely do something uh, because of blessings, how does this relate to this? That might give us a little encouragement as we study through the book of Leviticus because it's challenging and it's daunting. But maybe if you can find some kind of system, it'll help us get through it a little bit quicker and a little bit better way. 
Here's some things to take note of in Deuteronomy 15, and then I've got a couple of uh, questions for you. Deuteronomy 15, starting in verse 19. All the firstborn males that are born of your herd and flock, you shall dedicate to the Lord your God. You shall do work with the firstborn of your you shall not do work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You shall eat it, you and your household before the Lord your God, year by year. And that went out, so we're gonna have to read it up here now. Uh, year by year at the place that the Lord will choose. But if it has any blemish, if it has it lame or blind or any serious blemish, whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You shall eat it within your towns. The unclean and the clean alike may eat it as though it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. Keep this passage open and let's discuss a little bit together. Why did God ask for offerings? Just kind of consider all these things that he's saying in this passage here um, and the other ones that we've connected or what we know so far. Why did God ask for offerings? Okay, so um, maybe part of it is because of the Levites. You know, when they come into the land, they're not given a portion. They, you know, they have specific cities that they're going to have, um, but they also, they don't work in the same way. And Jesus even used that as an illustration that the, the priests work on the Sabbath. And that kind of goes against some of the things the Pharisees were saying about the Sabbath. He said, it's the priests work on the Sabbath, and you say nobody can do any work, so who's at fault? God forgiving the instructions, them actually doing the instructions, or do you misunderstand the Sabbath? But the priests were supposed to work, and the way they were provided for was by a lot of these offerings, that they would have a portion of it. And so it was to take care of those that were working in the temple and helping in this way. Very good point. What else? Okay, an act of submission to God's sovereignty. Expand on that a little bit more. Okay, so with God being overall, being the, the sustainer, the giver of life, we submit ourselves to him, and whether it's by, you know, even some of the tithing and things go along with that, but if you're thinking about these offerings, giving that back to him, submitting and saying, you're the one that's in control, and even to the point of life, not just the, the physical things that we possess, but just the very essence of life itself, um, total submission. I like that. Daniel, you were going to say something? Okay, so one of the questions that Daniel was bringing out with this is, who really benefits from these offerings? Um, is it God? Is it the, the worshiper? Is it the priest? Actually, what we're going to see from all of it is that all three benefit. That part of it, or some of the sacrifices are given wholly and completely to God. And what is that description of when something is burned up? What is it uh, from God's perspective? It's a 
pleasing aroma to God. Uh, the priest would have a certain portion of it that they were allowed to eat. And even the, the worshiper, they would have certain preparations for them and they'd bring it back home to their friends and their family and they would eat together. And so in a physical way, they all get the benefit from some of them. But in a spiritual way, there, it, it's, it's bringing all of it out of our complete dependence on God. God's expectation of us, us providing for one another, whether it's those that are uh, taking care of the, the services in the temple or just your family. There are a lot of mutual benefits, I think, that happen from these sacrifices. And so, uh, Daniel, you bring out some good points there. Yeah, so just the basic principle of sacrifice. And this is going to lead to this point right here. Maybe uh, you can expound on it. If you're thinking about, you know, why would God all, you know, ask us to have these kind of offerings? Let's, let's think about some stories together uh, that maybe share this principle of sacrifice. What comes to your mind? Identify some specific stories about offerings in the Old Testament. Jim? Okay, so even back with Adam and Eve to tie these two things together, and I appreciate you doing that, um, the first sacrifice that was made is when an animal was killed in order to clothe Adam and Eve because they had sin. Um, a lot of correlations from there that this animal had to be taken uh, and it's what God had asked for, and they were clothed from it, they provided from it, but it was also uh, turned into you know sacrifices beyond that. I think that's a good point with Adam and Eve. What else? What are some other stories that come to your mind about sacrifice? Cain and Abel. I mean, not too far down the line after uh, mom and dad, you look at Cain and Abel and you find sacrifice, but you also find the misunderstanding about parts of it. Um, and you find God trying to teach them and instruct them, and then Cain having the wrong view of it. Very good. What else? The Passover? Absolutely. You've got that time in Egypt, but then uh, every year beyond that, a reminder of coming out of Egypt um, and having to kill those, uh, those lambs in order to have the blood protect. What else? Yeah, so Noah had provisions for sacrifice that we don't tell that part in VBS where, you know, we just say, you know, two by two that all the animals were brought in, but those that were part of the sacrifice and those things, they were brought in by sevens. Um, and you find the first thing that Noah does when he comes off the ark is that he offers a sacrifice. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, what else? Abraham and Isaac. Um, Abraham being told to take Isaac to the top of the mountain and that he would be, you know, Things would be provided for him. We find the lamb that was given, but Abraham willing to sacrifice his son um, as an offering. Very good. What else? Okay, in a spiritual sense, Daniel talks about just sacrificing uh, things that are around us and talking about Joseph and uh, some of his decisions that he made that he always put God first. 
And so you find a principle um, of this idea of sacrifice, but maybe not to the extent of uh, an animal being killed. Very good. I think that covers a lot of Genesis. Um, just between those, I think we covered Genesis. Any other stories come to your mind about sacrifice? Esther. Okay, why Esther? Okay, so a lot of these key figures like Esther and others that um, did not want to break their uh, connections to God or did not want to violate um, what they had set out to do for God's purpose. Uh, you can find a lot of characters maybe that, that deal with that. Very good. Um, I think about, we talked last week about the place that was going to be set aside for people to come worship. And you think about um, Solomon preparing the temple. Do you look at how many animals he sacrificed when that happened? It is a lot. There are a ton of animals. And, and you can see the, the details. Go to First Kings chapter 8 and read from there when he dedicates the temple. That would have taken a while to prepare all that. And it, you, know, you look and you say, well, was that too extravagant? Was that too much? What is God requiring? What is he asking? What's the mentality behind it? If you look for sacrifice, you're going to find them all throughout the Bible. You find them when you get to the New Testament, and you find them ultimately in Jesus. And so read the book of Hebrews, and you'll see that as well. So let's go into uh, this idea a little bit more uh, and see what some of these sacrifices represent as we go through the descriptions of them in the book of Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 7, 37 through 38, it says this, This is the law of the burnt offering, of the grain offering, and of the sin offering, of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day that he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. If you just want to know about sacrifices, bracket out Leviticus 1-7. through 7. And there are going to be five main ones that are mentioned in these passages, and we're going to look at them in much detail as we can. And I almost see it from two perspectives. In the first uh, five chapters, you're going to get these sacrifices from the worshiper's perspective. He tells them this is what you're supposed to bring. These are the details you're looking for. Uh, this is how you're going to offer it, offer it. And then starting in chapter 6 through 7, you get it from the priest's standpoint when the worshiper comes to you with these things, this is what you're to do with it. And so you get it from uh, both angles, and I think that's a neat concept because the book of Leviticus is really from the priest's perspective. And as people are coming to worship and bring sacrifices, there's a responsibility and accountability on the individual to look in their herds to find out, okay, is this really the first? Is this the first one of my flock? Is this the, the best that I have to offer? Is there any blemish? Is there anything wrong? Do I have enough money to provide for this? Do I, do I have the ability to sacrifice? But you also have from the priest. They're looking at these things, and if anything comes into the temple that is not what God specifies, they're to look at it and say, okay, that's not allowed here. There's a, there's a blemish. They were to look it over. Accountability and responsibility on each person's part. Um, and you find this going haywire many different times in the history of the Israelites. Go to the book of, um, let's see, John chapter 2 or uh, Matthew chapter 24, and you look at those two chapters when Jesus comes into Jerusalem and cleanses the temple. What was going on in the temple during that time? Okay, so they were selling things for sacrifice. Now, 
what was allowed in the law. They could sell you know, their possessions, or if they were too poor and they couldn't provide, they were to get something. So they would bring in maybe a dove was the, the lowest point there. You had to have that somewhere. So they would come into the city, and they were looking for people to help provide in that way. And so I can see where that began, but then what happened? It became a den of robbers. They had you know, money changers in there, and it, had, it turned into a place that was not what God wanted it to be. And I can see them taking advantage of people that are coming from out of town. We know that the way is too far, and those exceptions that we looked at, they were to have this money, and they were bonded up, and they would come to the city, and all of a sudden you find inflation prices. You know, it's like buying gas out in the country versus buying gas in town. The prices are going to be different. They come into the city, and I wonder what these people are doing. I wonder if they would look at some of the sacrifice, and they say, okay, that's not allowed here. Uh, you're going to need something different. Let me, let me uh, get some funds from you, and you can buy something else. It's not what this was meant to be. It was meant to be the individual looking at what they have and bringing that before God. They had misused what God was expecting of people. And this is a very early concept when they're on Mount Jesus until Jerusalem is destroyed in 70 AD and then they can't offer their sacrifices in the same way. There's no tabernacle, there's no temple, and the Jews are still wailing at the wall today because of that. So here are the, the types of sacrifice you'll find in Leviticus 1 through 5 and then the further descriptions in the next two chapters. You've got burnt offerings themselves, Grain offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings. Um, I'm going to try and break them down in a very simple way. Um, I'm going to leave out a lot of detail just because uh, you can go back and read these chapters as uh, best as you can. But here's the one main point before we go in. Voluntary versus mandatory. A couple of the sacrifices we're going to see are complete voluntary. Thanking God for what he has done. Just an acknowledgement of God's blessings, but also maybe an acknowledgement of, you know what, I've sinned and, and I need to come and offer something uh, to God. Mandatory would be, hey, if you're going to celebrate the, the Passover feast, if you're going to celebrate the, the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Weeks, uh, Pentecost for us, you know, all these kind of things, here are the things that you should be looking for. But outside of that, you can come at any point. And it makes sense when the Levites are told you have the, the fire burning continually. At any point, somebody could come and offer a sacrifice, and you would be ready. And they were on call because of it. And the priests would actually take turns coming into the city during different times. So you think about, um, let's see, uh, John the Baptist and uh, Zacharias, that, um, that he was on duty in the temple, uh, that he was called to do that service, and he'd come back. So they'd spend some time there, and they would return. They were ready at any point. Anytime somebody wanted to offer a sacrifice, they were there. There are some things that you could do at home. There are other things that had to be done in the city. And there are other things that had to be done on a specific day at a specific time. So, all right, let's look at the uh, burnt offering. Leviticus chapter 1. I'm going to have two sets of verses under each one. You're going to see from the worshiper's perspective and then from the Levite. And so in uh, Leviticus chapter 1, 1 through 17. And then on the other side, Leviticus 6, 8 through 13. Just as a primer, I'm going to read these passages, um, not the full 17. I just want to start in verse 3 just to, to orient us about what's going on here. All right, so starting in verse 3. If his offering, speaking the person that's coming, if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord. 
and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire of the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now skip over to uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 8. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his son, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth of the altar all night until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put it on his linen garment and put on his linen undergarment of his body, and he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it, and shall burn on it the fat on the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. So just by looking at those few verses, what do you notice? Uh, draw some observations, just things that may stick out to you here. What do you see? 24-7. All right. What else? Say that again. Okay, so uh, you think about the amount of wood that they would have to go through. Um, they were gathering it from somewhere. Yeah. So to completely burn it all the way down, that's a lot of heat generating out of it. Okay, what else? Okay, very good. So, yeah, so the priest had two different, you know, sets of clothing. You got your uh, clothing for butchering and then your clothing to take out the unclean parts, the things that you're supposed to cast outside the city. Um, the Hebrew writer draws on what goes outside the city. Um, and he talks about where Jesus was crucified. So just a little connection there. And it's just vivid. Um, if you've ever had to, uh, not had to, but if you have ever uh, prepared an animal, um, you've been out hunting and you're going you're gonna to fillet it, you're going to prepare it. Do you think you might get any blood on you at all? What do you think the priest would look like by the end of the day? What do you think that clothing looked like? If it's linen, you know, I'm thinking about like white linen, you know. Um, he's wearing linen. By the end of the day, uh, you know, his time, he's going to be completely covered. You know, and they would have to, to wash themselves, and there was uh, all that prepared uh, that God wanted them to do as well. It's just vivid when you consider uh, how this would all operate. Very good. What, uh, what other observations do you have about this? Mm -hmm. So um, each part of the offering had to be treated separately. So some things you could, you know, so you take the blood and you throw it on the side of the altar. Um, some of the entrails, some of the parts you would have to wash. Um, some of them you would have to burn completely. You put the flesh on there or when you flay it, then you take part of the hide and you uh, put it somewhere else. And this is all different sacrifices. But just looking at here, there are certain portions that had to be treated in certain ways. 
Um, and you see that. Good observation. Anything else? It's not a trick question. Like I'm looking for one specific thing. I'm just wondering as you read through that, uh, what comes to your mind? Uh, so two things Bob brings out. He's like, these people are busy continually. Absolutely. Um, but then also bringing the best to God. It's off the top. You know, if we're going to be talking about giving, uh, giving back to God, do we give from the bottom or from the top of what we make? What God has blessed us with, our jobs. Not even talking about um, offering today, but it... it these are the connections that start coming to mind as you study this. You think, okay, what am I doing? Just We talked about the Lord's Supper, but what about some of these other things about just giving back to God? Do we give Him the leftovers? And then you could even go further in that and just talking about the principle of sacrifice. Do we give Him the leftover just in our life in general? Um, does He get priority in our day? Or is it if I have some time left over at the end of the day, I may give Him some time in prayer or in thought or in study? Or do I give Him the first part? Prioritizing God over anything else. How far am I willing to go to accomplish what God has asked me to do? Um, it's found all throughout this. Uh, maybe some connections here to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, um, about a living sacrifice. I think there's some good connections as well. All right, so talking about the burnt offering, this is what I'm going to do for each of them uh, beyond this. So pop up in the right order here. The element, specification, and purpose. So... As you connect all the verses through the book of Leviticus and uh, some of these other law passages, with a burnt offering, it could be a bull, a ram, a male goat, male dove, or young pigeon, but it was without blemish. Um, no spots, uh, things along those lines. It couldn't be broken in a particular way. This is the what you're looking for, and each one of them had its own way. I just think about sacrificing a bull, um, bringing that into the city, and getting that up on the altar and preparing it, you know, a dove, okay, we can put that together real quick. We can slice that and do what we need to, but a bull, it's going to take a little while. Um, I don't know how long it takes Mark Davidson to prepare a, a, a buck, but you think about a, a, a bull, it's going to take a little bit of time, and you have to be very careful with how you handle all of it. And the specification for how it's to be dealt is burn the whole animal. All of it belongs to God. All the way down until you get just ashes, and you take the ashes and you take them outside the city. So for each of the things that we're going to be considering, there's an element of what you were to bring, the specification for how you were to handle it, and the purpose. Why would you do this? And the purpose was voluntary acknowledgement of sin. I look at my life and I realize, you know what, I've made some mistakes. I've wronged somebody, and I want to correct that. Well, you have to write it with the person. Jesus deals with this, right? He says, if you're offering your sacrifice at the altar and there, recall that you have sinned against your brother, you go and reconcile your brother and come back and offer this. That was the point of what God was trying to do. He was trying to teach them, you're bringing this animal because you have sinned in a particular way. Make it right, but you still have to do this. You still have to uh, get the proper atonement. Um, 
but could you ever get to just the callous point where, nah, I probably sin today, I'm just going to bring an animal and let that be done, and then you go back and nothing really changes. Apparently that was happening a lot. Pharisees struggled with that. The internal quality about them was off. And I have to say, when we sit down to take the Lord's Supper, do we do the same thing? In a callous way, you know, yeah, I probably didn't have sinned the past week, but eh, it's whatever. Everybody sins, not a big deal. Or Jesus hung on the cross because I decided I want to do what I want to do. You know, we get so busy, even during the time of the Lord's Supper, where maybe we don't give it enough attention as we should to really stop and think, Jesus died, a man died because I decided I wanted to sin. It's not a man died because I decided to kill somebody. A man died because I, I decided I, I wanted to lie to get out of something. I wanted just a little extra pleasure in my life. I wanted just a little greed. I wanted just a little possession. Uh, to use Brian Jacowski's illustration about if I had the best uh, cookie recipe, and I told you it was the best cookie you'll ever have, but there's just a little bit of dog food in it. Um, would you still want to eat it? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Um, what is it, just a little bit of sin? What does that really bring to our mind when it comes to sacrifice? It's just a little sin. It doesn't require that big of a death. All sin need to be atoned for. Jesus did that for us. Don't let the moment, the time of remembering the Lord's Supper pass us without considering this. All right, so uh, on to the next one, the grain offering. Uh, starting in Leviticus chapter 2, 1 through 16, and 6, 14 through 23. Uh, we won't read all those passages, of course, because of time, but let's look at some of the elements that you'll find in there. All right, so uh, these grain offerings, it could be flour or grain, but never with leaven in it. You would also, um, some of the passages talk about slathering it with oil. Um, I make bread on a regular basis. If you don't know that, um, I will try and remedy that as best as I can. I love making bread. And in our uh, pantry, we have all these different types of oil. We have olive oil, but we also have them infused with Tuscan herbs and well, all the different types of vinegars that uh, you can dip them in. We love bread, and we eat a lot of it. And when he talks about how to prepare this bread, he says if you put it on a griddle, you, put, you bake it in the oven. He gives you all of them. He says you can bring the flour itself, and you can offer that, or you can bake some bread and out of this, uh, these things that you possess, and you give them back, but never put leaven in it, you know, Cover it with oil. Uh, bring frankincense. Uh, some of you are looking at this and you're like, oh, they've got their essential oils in there as well. Um, and then he says you put salt in it. You have the, the salt of the, the covenant is actually what it's called. But you bring this grain offering and it gets burned up. The, the priest will take part of it and he'll throw it on there. It gets burned completely. The other part gets to be enjoyed uh, by some of the priests. And that's the specifications about it. The purpose was Thanksgiving and part of the first fruits. Just thanksgiving to God. You're making a meal at home, and you have this in front of you. And don't we take advantage of just bread itself? I mean, it's just a basic component. We always have it around for us, but we also have it in the pantry. We always have to have a loaf of bread because, I mean, my kids ate toast this morning. They eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on a regular basis. Like Bread is just a basic staple that we probably have around our house. Do we look at bread and think, I'm so grateful that I have this bread? Or... We think about how, you know, oh, I've got this, you know, five-course meal. Yeah, I really need to give thanks about this. Or do we give thanks to even the smallest portion of things that we take advantage of? People had oil, they had flour, and they gave thanks to God on whatever they did have. So uh, it could also be the first fruits. If this was from your uh, produce that you would get, you would give it back to God. 
All right, the next one, peace offering. Chapter 3 and chapter 7. Here's some things that you'll notice in the peace offering. If I go too fast and you want the notes, um, I'd be glad to give them to you. Sorry about that. We'll get there in a minute. Okay, nobody move. All right, peace offering. Well, move one more time. Okay, so here's the element. An unblemished male or female from the flock is a little bit different. Um, he doesn't give all these specifications about what type of animal it's to be other than unblemished, and it could be a male or a female. You burn it on top of the burnt offering. Um, so this is already going, and you bring and put it along with it. And look who has a portion of it. God, the priest, and the worshiper. Everyone together gets to participate in coming back into balance with God, offering this. And the peace offering actually got broken into three different ones. Um, part of it could be for giving thanks to God for any blessings he has provided for you. You might come with a peace offering if you're going to make a vow. Uh, you're going to, um, might be a Nazarite vow. It might be a vow of dedication to someone or something. If you vow something, you would offer this uh, peace offering or just a free will. Hey, I'm, I want to offer something to God uh, and to be reminded of the peace that he has given to us. There are three different things, and you can find those uh, mentioned throughout those passages as well. All right, the sin offering, chapter 4 through 5, a little bit more detail on these. It's going to be one of those days. Luckily, we're almost done with class. So we don't have to worry about it. All right. Sin offering. The element, an unblemished male or female from the flock, um, and there are various rules about it, is to be burned. The fatty parts belong to God, and the priest ate the rest of it in the court. That was interesting that uh, some of these descriptions about the uh, the part that was given to God, it was the fatty parts. Um, you would wash them in a certain way, and then you would burn those on the altar. I don't really know uh, why exactly of what those are. Um, I do think about that being a pleasing aroma uh, that was to be offered. But the priest and God would eat these. And then the purpose of it, mandatory for unintentional sin, or if you need to be purified because you had touched something unclean, you had become unclean um, for whatever that may be. Um, we're going to be looking at those rules next week, uh, clean versus unclean and all the laws concerning it. But if you had some kind of breach of faith or violation, this is what you would offer um, to bring things back into balance. And the last one is the guilt offering. I know I'm going through these quick, and it's just a primer to get you to go study these verses a little bit more, and you can get all the details about them. So the guilt offering, it was a ram or a lamb without blemish. It was to be burned. The fatty parts belonged to God, and the priest ate it in the rest of the court, and it was mandatory for intentional sins. Uh, 
There's one specific passage to show this that uh, came to my mind. Let's see. Go to Leviticus chapter chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone sins doing any of the things by the Lord's commandments that they ought not to be, do, uh, to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven. It is a guilt offering, and he indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. Sin, we may look at just this act that's done, but guilt. Feeling actual guilt for something, that heart matter. What we've seen all throughout the book of Deuteronomy is that he is concerned about heart, soul, and mind. Every aspect of the person in a guilt offering, any of these sin offerings, really, I have breached my faith with God. And that's actually one of the phrases that's used in these passages, a breach of faith. I have gone against God's will, and that's why I'm having to offer these things. So hopefully that gave you a little bit to look at with these sacrifices to go study it some more. Um, Hopefully you're encouraged and go read Leviticus 1 through 7 for some more details. Appreciate you guys. That's all.